flag for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. You know, I'm having a tough time coming up with new ways to yawn, essentially, at the Major League Baseball offseason, people. We need new ways to describe the lack of energy and activity. It's been a pretty strange offseason, if you ask me, but it's baseball nonetheless. We're back with another episode of the FSS Plus podcast, and for the first time, by the way, we have the entire FSS crew here. Uh, Joining me simultaneously is FSS Plus senior analyst Joe Doyle uh, and Jeremy Booth, former MLB scout president of baseball operations for the New Balance uh, Future Star Series. Uh, it's good to get all three of us here. Uh, we talk together you know, quite a bit off the air, but this is the first time uh, we're doing it uh, like this on the show. Gentlemen, um, The uh, by the way, first of all, I'm not sure there's enough room on this show for the three voices that we have here, but we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to absolutely do the best we can. Gentlemen, before we get going today, um, I- I'm curious, give me a short response to the following question. Since the end of the 2023 Major League Baseball season, when the Rangers defeated the Diamondbacks 5 to nothing to win the World Series, what has changed the most in Major League Baseball? For example, I might say the weather. No, seriously. I might say, hey, the level of competition in the National League Central, um, judging by what has taken place to date. Joe, let's start with you. What's changed the most to date here as we're, we're in early January now since the end of uh, the World Series? I think it's going to be a little bit of a cop-out answer because i don't think it's what's changed on the field but i think for the product as a whole i think the public perception of major league baseball has changed the most Mm -hmm. i personally can't remember a winter where the shift from fans has gone so far from this is a great sport this is a great game i'm rooting for my team no matter what everything is an upswing everything is peachy hunky dory to wow 80% 80% of this re- league really is real estate tycoons. And, and this isn't me getting on a soapbox. I really do feel that way. I'm not complaining about one fan base, one organization, one front office, one ownership group. I think in general, fans have become more aware and have begun to catch on that this really is a business. It really is all about making money. And um, I, for me, I, I just think that's what's changed the most for the sport uh, over the last three months. JB, uh, how about you? You you you're down there in Houston. You see the Astros win. You see Texas win. Um, they're bigger markets. We haven't seen the Yankees win much lately. We haven't seen the Mets do much. Boston won a few years back. The Dodgers have won fairly recently. Um, thinking along the same lines there, in terms of what in terms of what has changed the most, or you got something completely different for us? Well, the Mets did a lot. They just did a lot of spending. Do anything else? Do a lot of spending, like last year, and so like there's nothing they can do this year because they're trying to shed all that. That's the best thing the Mets have done in five years: is spent. Okay, um, when it comes to the league as a whole, to me, everything's really just been status quo, which kind of ties into what Joe's been talking about: real estate tycoons and you know pocketing dollars. But for me, the biggest thing that's changed in baseball, and this is disappointing, are the rules. We had some rule changes. We got the, the baseline. We have this, the pitch clock that's gone down a little bit. And, you know, it's another adjustment to the game. But that's the biggest action we've got. Otani 
um, to talk about him. I'm sorry, Joe Jotani to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's gone, man. Was, was <laughs> in, um, you know, I mean, look, he was a big, it's a big market guy. There were four or five teams that could compete, right? That's it. That's it. And the ones that maybe could have made an offer that he might have considered didn't even have any interest. So there wasn't that. And then when it comes to Yamamoto, he comes out and says, I was going to L.A. anyway. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. So outside of that, I mean, we got the Astros picking up a guy, as, as uh, my co-host down here in Houston, Jason Bristol said, off the scrap heap. You got waiver claims. You have very limited movement. I mean, sale gets gets traded. But that's about it, man. There isn't anything going on. So if nothing's going on, nothing's changed. Right. So what Joe's talking about, the real estate stuff. Yeah, he's right. Real estate tycoons. Yeah, these guys are that's I get it. That's how fans are going to feel. And for me, Major League Baseball made some action changes again. A couple that were overdue. One that's a little bit suspicious in my mind, my mind. We'll see how it plays out. I get why they did it. And um, maybe too soon is better word than suspicious, but they did it. And, you know, we'll go from there. That's it. That's been a very stagnant and very stale offseason as we find ourselves five weeks in spring training. Yeah, I think, uh, Joe, I thought the way way you were going to go, and you're kind of saying this, but the the gap between the elite five, six teams in Major League Baseball and the bottom five, six teams in terms of spending is greater than it's ever been. You can do the math. You can check me on that if you're out there. Check me on that. I did the math. I went, I use COTS, I use Trek, I use USA Today Baseball, I use Baseball Reference. It has never been greater in percentage than it is today, those elite five, six, seven teams versus the bottom of the league. And that's where I thought you were going, Joe. Um, the, the interesting thing to me isn't where these players have landed. I think it's the money. I gotta be honest with you. I think it's the money. Um, that's been the most surprising thing. Um, but, uh, interesting. Yeah. The rule rules changes. We keep going down that road at some point this year, Jeremy, we're gonna have to get to, you call this suspicious slash too soon. We're gonna have to dive into it. I don't want to do it today, but I want to dive into that at some point. Because there's one of those rule changes you don't really love at this particular point. I want to dive in that at some point. I made a note about it, and we'll do that. Uh, all right, a couple things I want to address today before the buzzer sounds. Uh, scouting hangups. And if you're out there and you're like, I don't even know what that means, well, uh, we'll explain it in a few. Uh, also, I want to get to our favorite comps on a draft player. Whether it was your comp, someone else's comp, you read it, you saw it on social media, another scout, a team, uh, a GM, someone on a network somewhere, I don't care, it doesn't matter. That's either the funniest or the most wrong or the most dead on or the most interesting. Uh, I'm curious what those are. I get a lot of questions. Um, what's the biggest miss? You know, you've talked to scouting directors, and you, what's their biggest miss? What's JB's biggest miss? What's Joe's biggest miss? Uh, I think that's an interesting question, but let's do that with draft comps at this point. It doesn't have to be yours. I'm just looking for something interesting at this point. And if we have time, I want to dive into the idea of the additional wild card maybe being a problem in Major League Baseball. Maybe it's contributing to that lack of activity because we're talking about free agency a lot, but the trade market has barely budged other than the Chris Sale type deals, the Mariners trying to cut payroll, things of that nature. We haven't seen the big deal. If we have some time, we'll get to that as well. Uh, before we get going, you got to go to futurestarseries.com uh, Friday. So if you're listening to this on Friday, now, go there now. Joe's FSS Plus preseason. Let's see JB's response on this. College, <laughs> I can't wait to see his face. College baseball, <laughs> all America teams. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I got to look at, I got to say, uh, Joe, you did a really good job on it, but uh, it's a pretty strong group of players, especially when you think you, had, you went three teams deep on this. If you're curious who's who in college baseball, uh, uh, check that out. 
on uh, on Friday and over the weekend. Uh, Jens, let's actually start at the bottom of that just to get it out of the way. Uh, we'll start at the big league level. That the, the, the extra wild card gave us 350 playoff teams every year. But maybe when you look back at the deadline last year and you look at this winter, maybe maybe not last winter, but I think even last winter, but if you look at the last couple of transaction cycles, which is the winter and the trade deadline, there hasn't been a lot of that traditional one team trades young prospects, the other team trades proven veterans kind of move. And I think that extra wild card is at least part of the reason that's happening right now and part of the reason why this winner has been so dead. I'm, I'm interested to get your, your take on that is do you like the extra wild card? Do you see negatives in it with so many teams getting into the postseason? We know that there are positive. Let's start with you, JB. You know, I, the extra wild card to me, the positive is that it keeps more fan bases engaged longer. Right. That's a that's a revenue deal. It's more people, more teams in the play. All, all things that go with it. NBA model, NFL model, same thing. You know, it's just it's it's spread a little bit. The negative is, in my mind, um, it reduces the incentive to push your put your club over the top. It rewards the and I apologize to both of you in advance for what I'm about to say. It rewards the 54 percent mentality. Right. And if that's the mentality that it rewards, then it doesn't help you push to win being mediocre and just okay is good enough. And anytime you're in sports and being just good enough is what you're shooting for. It's you're probably doing the wrong thing, right? Um, you need to shoot to win and, and nowhere has experienced that more. Um, actually, and, and this is a, this is probably a, real, a very factual, real statement at this point than the area of, of Seattle, because there's really never been a winner, right? I mean, there's been some playoff teams that have been a winner and um, it seems like every time you get close, it, you know, the eject handle gets pulled and doesn't matter who the owner is, just it does. And it goes the other way and it becomes something that um, mediocre is, is good enough to keep the fans engaged, but we're not really going to win. And if we get just get in and do a little bit great. And th that happened. Um, that was last year, right? They got in. Mm -hmm. It was last year. Yeah. 22. Yep. After the yeah, 22. Yeah. So, I mean, it just it's not. um the, the extra wild card, I get what they're doing from a revenue model. It's a revenue it, – it, it, I get it. But from a competitiveness standpoint, it removes the incentive to make the big moves and spend the money because just good enough gets you in now, right? The whole, the whole system, though, JB, rewards mediocrity because even if you told me like a Pittsburgh Pirates or a Cincinnati Reds or Milwaukee Brewers, whoever it is, just went 81 and 81 or 74 and 88 or 76 and 86 or even 68 and 94 – pretty much every freaking year the owners of that franchise are going to make money even if they're going to get revenue sharing those are organizations that are going to going to get revenue sharing so they're going to come up in the black right every year because of revenue because of teams like the Mets and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and, and and clubs like that the elites are going to support the rest of the league and when they go to sell that franchise they're going to make millions if not billions I mean you know, I'm closest to Seattle, so I'll use them as an example. That current group, First Avenue Entertainment, officially bought that club for about $1.1 million in August of 2016. The Forbes uh, number on that franchise right now, the franchise value estimate, is more than twice that. It's about $2.4 billion now. They could turn around and sell and make over a billion dollars, $1.2, $1.3 billion today plus all the money they're pocketing. And, it, and again, I'm not trying to pick on Seattle. That's the way the system works these days. I don't know what you do about that. Um, you know, look, I'm not gonna, I don't want to get into how I know this because I want to keep the information of where I got it from, you know, 
private, but certain, there's only a few clubs that run at a profit. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the Astros run at a profit. Without the revenue sharing, you mean? Yes. Yeah. The Astros run at a profit. Okay. I, I, the Mariners don't know, maybe, but I do know the Astros run at a profit. And you can tell that Jim Crane, from a business standpoint, um, is very interested in running at a profit because he's not getting anywhere near or going over that luxury tax. It's not yeah. happening. Right. Um, when it comes to, uh, to to the Mariners and other clubs, I think people get upset and correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, having been in those rooms and having had the conversations, you guys are aware that we've had and some we've talked about on, on air um, when you don't pour the dollars into the team to win. Right. Nobody cares if you're making money. Making money is part of business. Nobody wants to lose money. Right. And I can tell you as a business owner that having what's yours not show up is a very uncomfortable and, and, and not fun feeling. Right. What I can also tell you, though, is that I try to pour things here into the people that are here to get the, to the bigger finish line. And so if you're an owner of a big league club, that's what you really should be doing. Um, at least that's the concept of trying to win. Now, um, this wave of owners, some embrace that. The guy in Philly, John Middleton, right? He embraces that. Um, the Steinbrenners before they embrace that. They're starting to get back to that now. Have they had some really odd, let's say, investments that haven't worked out? Sure. But they're invest- they, they, they've embraced that. Um, you know, the Dodgers, clearly, the Giants are trying. Um, the Rangers do it. They have, you know, no matter who the owner is. So there's clubs out there that do it, right? And then there's clubs that don't. Um, but to do that and not invest money, then you better draft well. And if you don't draft well, I'll give you an example of a club that has drafted well for decades. is the Minnesota Twins. They've drafted well for decades and they're always showing up as being good and they will go out and get a piece of it over the top. So if you're not going to go ahead and pour it into the uh, to the big league club, you still have to put a winning product on the field. As long as you put a winning product on the field, nobody's watching your books. Nobody cares. Nobody's asking what's going on, but you got to win. And if you're not going to do that and you're just going to come up just short every year, you're going to upset some people and rightfully so. Joe, uh, you like that extra wild card? You see other problems there we're not talking about yet? I like the extra wild card, you know, in a vacuum, but I think the issue is um, baseball has just changed so much. Um, You you know, like JB, you were saying it it rewards the 54 percenters. I think it becomes harder and harder for a team to get to that point if they don't spend money to be like an 88 to 90 win team. I, I look at it like this. Name another time in history when teams clutched their prospects like they have today it's it hasn't been long but over the last five years there was a time when glaber torres was the number two prospect in baseball and he was traded for a reliever Uh will myers was the number one prospect in baseball he was traded to the rays in a package um eloy jimenez was traded he was the number two prospect in baseball who was uh there was a a number one prospect was traded in baseball a while back too. I'm trying to remember who that was. And I think it was the White Sox. Oh, um, the Chris Sale deal. Was that Yon Moncada? Moncada and Kopech. So it's like the player that is required to pull back a top 10 prospect in the sport almost doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the Washington Nationals were able to acquire CJ Abrams and James Wood, who ended up moving into the top 10 Mm -hmm. for, for, two and a half years of a 22 year old superstar outfielder in Juan Soto that you you won't see that trade hardly ever again in the sport. It just won't happen. So 
I think just in general, the game as as a process has changed. Front offices have become more analytical. And because of that, it, it's really hard to, you know, stay afloat by acquiring prospects and moving big league talent and staying in that 90 win threshold without moving money. So um, I guess that was kind of a roundabout way of saying I like the wild card, but when it comes to trade deadlines and winters and actually trading impact prospects and acquiring those types of players, I just don't see those trades happening anymore. Are are we just, Joe, are we just not rewarding the division champ enough? Is there anything else we can do there? I mean, some people don't like the fact that the division champ sits out for, for four days or whatever it ends up being five days. I don't really have a problem with it, but I don't care. Is there a, is there a way to reward that team better, like allowing them to pick the team they play or anything along those lines? I hated that. They did that in 2020, I think, mm-hmm. and I hated it. I hated the fact that they got to choose who their opponent was, and all of a sudden the narrative turns into, oh, this team has a chip on their shoulder because they were selected as the as the weakest link in, in who this team is going to play in the playoffs. I think that's bullcrap. Like baseball, just in general, is is parody. That's what the sport is. There is no momentum. I, I mean, not really. You, you see it sometimes, but it's only—it's really only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. Um, there are lineups that get hot, but I, I don't think that should be a part of it. Now, do we want to be rid of the the bye week? Uh, you know, get rid of the wild card round and and just go a different route with everything. I don't know. Like, I I find the the hypocrisy around playing 162 games, trying to win 120 of them. So you get that by, you get that home field advantage, and then you cry unfair when you get knocked out because you're cold. Like you can, you can't have your cake and eat it poo, uh, eat it too. You got to have one or the other. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, they're going to continue to add playoff teams though. I mean, you know, when they expand to 32 teams, which is probably happening, we're gonna, probably going to hear some sort of announcement in the next couple of years about expansion to 32, which generally speaking, I'm okay with, but you know, that's going to mean another playoff team because it's, it's, it's an easy way for owners to do that. So we're probably still going to be talking about this in two or three years. Uh, good stuff guys. Uh, okay. Let's talk about scouting. Um, JB, I know you don't know anything about this, but we'll walk you, we'll walk you through it a little bit. Please do. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can thank me later. It's fine. Um, one thing that's interesting to me is like I, I hear and I see and I see on social media a lot. Uh, and one of the examples um, uh, in, in, in one corner of the baseball community, I'll say. So laugh on your own time. Uh, the inverted W. Remember all that talk? Now, we don't, I don't really see that anymore. Maybe it's because I've blocked all those people that just like yell and scream about inverted Ws. And, and by the way, why don't we call it an M? Um, but something like that, you know, like the, the idea is inverted W he's destined to have Tommy John surgery, um, real or not, that would qualify as a scouting hangout. For example, maybe it's swing mechanics. Maybe it's a long swing. Maybe it's a hitch. Maybe it's choppy and segmented, whatever that is. Maybe it's, well, he's only a, a big leaguer if he sticks it short. And here's why I don't think he can stick it short. Um, there are lots of, of, of different angles we can go about. I'm just wondering if there's one or two out there. We'll start with you, JB. Um, that you really believe in, or maybe one that just isn't part of the conversation for you. Um, and maybe you're going to tell me none of that disqualifies a player from your radar and kind of takes them off your plate. Um, and if that's the answer, are there red flags for you when you're talking about an amateur player at the high school or college level moving into the draft? <clears throat> well, that's a pretty good question. And it's actually, um, 
it's one that I can tell you that uh, one of the better things I was able to do as a scout was re, was replayers. I'm not talking about tools or um, tools are obvious, right? They're obvious. Now where they project to, that takes some art. The role building that takes some art, but um, reading a player is something I just innately could do. I don't know why that is. I will tell you this. Um, anytime a player says I'm not ready, I got I got a question. Anytime doesn't matter what it is. I'm not ready. Okay, I got a question. Anytime a player says um, I don't want to be seen. That's a humongous flag. Wait a second. Are you telling me that's, that yeah. you've heard players say this? Well, what you hear is things like overexposed. Well, overexposed only happens if you're not very talented. Sure. Okay. So if you're not very talented, you got to hide. I get it. You got to pick and choose when you are. You got, but if you're not, if you're a good player, what are you hiding for? Well, you're hunting for a game all the time. You're playing constantly. And um, the comfort level that comes with players who always show up who, you know, they call it in, in the big leagues, we say post, right? Always post. Players that always show up, you know they can be there every day. You know when they're going to be around. It's an impact. They're going to contribute. They're going to hustle. They're, those guys are the ones that get paid and they make it. The ones that say, I'm listening to, and I'll, I'll say this to this another way. Um, I'm afraid. What they're not saying is I'm afraid, but the, the answers are I'm afraid. Right. I don't want to do this because I'm not ready. Or my pitching coach says, which you get all the time. My pitching coach says, right. Or this guy said to me, that's like you're off the list. Like I'm not, I may not go tell anybody else you're off the list unless like, but from in my head, you're like, I'm done. Right. Because I don't want to, I'm not interested in players who are afraid of the ball or afraid of the ballpark. I'm not. Um, I'll give you an example. We have this event coming up at globe life. I've got some kids who are not class of 24 that are begging to get into this thing. Begging and they're and they're talented and it's not for them just yet, but they're screaming to get into this thing because they want to prove themselves against the talent that they're, that's in that in that event. And then you got other kids who or other players who. Um, well, who are fighting their state associations, if you will, like literally fighting to get in there. Right. That's yeah. Whether you play or not, man, I'm good. Like we're, we're in. And then you have players who run. A little. And I'm not just talking about that event. I'm talking about in general when I say that. They run, right? Why? I don't think I can do this. If you get an opportunity to compete and it's in the timing that you should be in the timing to do it, and I'm talking about an early uh, early event or even end of summer event. I'm not talking about something in December or November when most people should be down. I'm talking about, you know, bookending events, right? Because you see us at the end of the summer all the time. Oh, he's tired. For what? He's 17 years old. What is he tired for? I want to hear it. Okay. 17. I didn't know what tired meant at 17. I was going to the cage at midnight hitting. I can't tell you where. Well, I guess I can. The age of NIL. I can do it now. Back then I couldn't do it. But the age of NIL, UCLA. I was able to get into UCLA and a couple other schools at will to hit at midnight to the point where the cops knew, hey, the campus cops. Hey, Jeremy, what's up, man? At midnight. Okay, because you're fighting to get to get better and you're looking for a game and you're hunting for a ballpark. Tired doesn't enter your mind. Building back and building up doesn't enter your mind. So for you, this is a confidence and character kind of a thing. Like that's the big one for you. Okay, we'll use an example. When the bell rang for Globe Life, I'm not singling anybody else out besides these these couple of guys. Slade Caldwell and David Hogg said, can we use aluminum bats? 
It wasn't like, can we play? It wasn't like, we'll let you know. It was like, can we use aluminum? Because these are college guys. We're going to our season, right? The answer was, of course, we're going to be there. That indicator says we're going to go ahead and, and do this. When you are um, a player who doesn't have that enthusiasm for the opportunity, it tells me you're hiding something. Okay, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. I heard one player who's going to remain nameless said, "I've done everything I need to do." No, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't. Because the draft is six months away, buddy. Buddy, okay, it hasn't, and you need to be in a position to always um, advance the good days and the bad days. As a scout, you learn more from the bad days than you do from the good days, right? Because you know, so Vern Followell, who was a, a twin scout for a lot of years used to say this to us as young scouts. And Mike Radcliffe used to say this too. He'd say, if a guy had a good day at the ballpark, so what? You know why? Because it doesn't get any easier. They're supposed to dominate. They're supposed to, if they're prospects, they're supposed to dominate in high school and they're supposed to dominate in college because it didn't get easier. It just doesn't. If a guy has a bad day, show me that. Show me what a guy can do when he's struggling, how a guy's going to compete. Show me how a guy's going to rebound. Show me his resiliency. That's how you learn. You don't learn from a guy that goes out and as Sammy Hughes would say, who's now a cross-checker with the Giants, would say, melt four balls. So what? It's great. It's a good swing, right? But you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to do it. So when you look at red flags, for me, the makeup is always going to be the separator. It's not going to be the, the 70 raw. It's not going to be the 60 arm. That's, those are, that's great. Put them in the bag, and that's nice. But the road to the big leagues is littered with guys that didn't make it that were five-tool athletic studs. And the ones that show up are the guys like Adam Frazier, who your boy over here had in the second round. Okay. So why? Not because he was a dude, not because he was the slashiest guy in the field, because the kid could hit, he competed, he didn't take plays off, he could play short if he had to, probably end up at second, and he could use the whole field to control the strike zone. Might be one of my my favorite Jeremy Booth scouting reports, by the way. What is, the, is the Adam Frazier scouting report? That's yeah. it's it's one of my favorite ones. And I have a stack of them that that I dig through uh, on uh, on a regular basis. Uh, Joe, uh, I'm wondering along the lines of, of data, it's such a huge part of the game today. Um, I, I'm curious if they're thinking, we hear about a lot of stuff, spin rates. I'm, not, and, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Jason, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it, no. Whoever's listening to this, if you say I'm not ready and there isn't really a good reason, if you say I've made it, there isn't a good reason. I'm just counting the seconds till you fall. <laughs> it's, it's because you haven't made it. You, you haven't made it. You're, hang on, you're hang still, on, time out, time out. I got to make a note. Um, you're still an amateur baseball. It doesn't right. matter what into the spectrum. You're still an amateur baseball. And when you sign, you know what that is? It's another start. It's a starting point. It's not the big leagues. You know what the big leagues are? The big leagues are the big leagues. That's it. That's when it, that's when it, that's when it counts. That's when you can sign a big leaguer. It's when you become a big leaguer. Okay. I'm yeah. You know, J- Jed Lowry <laughs> said something uh, on a radio show that I hosted in Seattle for a couple of years. Uh, the A's were in town and we had Lowry on and he said something that stuck with me for long. And I'd never heard it obviously makes perfect sense, but I never really heard like, I don't know at the time he was 28, 29 years old, been in the big leagues for six years, been with two or three teams, had some pretty good years. You know, he's another one of those guys, JB, that you know, not a bunch of loud tools, but turned into a pretty good player, play multiple positions and hit and switch it and all that good stuff. A uh, little, little, little bit of Adam Free. Yeah. Yeah. Had a good career, but he was 28. I want to say he was 28, 29 years old at that point. And, and something he said really stuck out and, and, and it's, and it's, 
popping up in my head right now as we're having this conversation. He said, look, if you get to the big leagues and you think you're done getting better, you're not done getting better. You're just done. You're just done. That's it. Like it, it, it's pretty much everyone too. Like there, there are a few exceptions, the Ken Griffey juniors of the world, things like that. He was probably good enough to have a, a, a fairly long career, even if he didn't improve after his first couple of years. But if you get to 23, 24, 25 years old and you stop getting better, you're going to be out of the league in a, in, a, in a heartbeat. And especially if you're someone like Lowry that doesn't have the 70 raw and the, the big tools or the big fastball. Uh, I thought that was really interesting and I, I'll never, it's been 10 years. Um, but I'll never forget him saying that. It just really stuck with me. And that's kind of part of my thought process now. Uh, Mr. Doyle data. Data is a big deal in baseball, maybe too big a deal for, for some clubs and in, 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 in some areas, but yeah. it, it's obviously a big deal. And, and I'm curious, kind of same question, but with, with metrics, with data, we hear about spin rates, we hear about, uh, fastball shape. We hear, and there are different ways to measure that. We hear all kinds of stuff like that. I'm curious if there's one or two that stand out to you that you kind of think we've kind of learned maybe over the years, this maybe isn't as big a deal as we thought it was, or maybe something that is a, a significantly bigger deal, uh, at least right now, as we see things, than, than we've given it credit for. Maybe it's something new that we didn't have five years ago. Well, really quickly, um, on the Adam Frazier front, mm-hmm. I talked to enough guys now, like Adam, Adam, everyone loves Adam Frazier. Everyone in the industry, every scout, every cross checker, every director, it's Frazier, it's Seth Smith, it's Kyle Gibson. It's uh, Whit Merrifield. It's like they're just beloved like across the league. So uh, I'm glad that he was pulled. Uh, and then really quick, I wanted to add in my one thing just from I, I have hardly the amount of experience that really either of you have. But um, I have done 236 interviews now um, on YouTube with with players that are draft eligible over the last five drafts. And the one that sticks out for me is even as a 16 or a 17 year old or a 20 year old, um, you know, I ask, what are you looking for in a future employer, future big league organization? Uh, if they ever say preferably somewhere warm, generally has been a red flag and it generally has not gone well at the next level. It, it kind of is a uh, loop around way of saying you're, you're kind of soft, like you, you, you'll play baseball, but it has to be in under your circumstances and, and you know that's kind of what jb was adversity. saying that's kind of an excuse it's a it's a don't don't overexpose me don't put me in the cold weather yeah that's yeah yeah it's part of that how many in players did you you said you've done like 200 250 of those I've interviews had three okay i've had three say it and two of them were 21 one of them was 22 and none of them have made it past high a yet so uh, you know oh. they're actually they're in cold weather locations and maybe that's what's slowed them down but um boy that's I something you can't get away from in the minors either. you cannot get away from that not. in the minors you, the midwest you league players, you can't do players in, the, in the chat can you put those in the chat there on the side I'll, I'll, yeah i'll text them to, I'll, I'll text them to you after this <laughs> yeah we don't want to throw um, they're not actually no they're not they're not uh old alumni but data so let's do data here i think there's only really one piece of data for me at least my holy grail that i can't get over if it's bad bad and that's chase rate Mm -hmm. because everything else i think you can improve Uh, you know with bat to ball like pure bat to ball skills i think reps can improve that look what chase davis did this past year i mean his contact rate went up 12 or 13 percent uh entering his draft eligible that's crazy i made him made himself probably two more million dollars um 
you know, power, of course, power is going to improve if you got a good frame and you got, you know, you know, the get like Jacob Wilson uh, deserved to go number six. He's a baller. Um, so power like exit velos, I think it's important in in judging a guy. But I have not seen too many situations where a guy went from being a, you know, 28, 30, 32, 34 percent chase rate, terrible approach, swinging at bad pitches uh, against guys throwing 88 to 91 in college or even worse, 86 to 88 in high school. And it's improved once he starts seeing 94 from, you know, sure. whippy Latin players that are giving different looks than you see stateside. So right. we don't know he can't do it until he's had the opportunity to, to face it. So it's hard to hold it against him. You can say he hasn't done it yet and how yeah. much that matters in your report. I guess it depends on the scout, but uh, it, it's something you, you were kind of alluding to there. The, the, the hard hit rates and things like that. You know what I do? I completely ignore that in if the kid is like 20 years old. If this kid is in college, I don't care what that looks like. I really don't care what that looks like. If this kid is two years out of high school and he's Harry Ford playing in, in advanced A, I don't care what his hard hit rate is. I, I really don't um, because we're going off averages here. You know, is he just hitting the ball soft a little too often? He's got timing issues. This is not a strength thing. This is not a, uh, I don't know how to square the ball up thing. Uh, watch him in batting practice. There's something else going on here. I com I completely ignore that. So if I'm just throwing my two cents in really quick, hard hit rates for guys that are like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, unless they're really good because you can go, wow, he's already doing this at 18, 19 years old in low A or rookie ball or in high school or whatever, then fine. But I find it really difficult to ding a kid who's six feet and 170 pounds at 18 years old, 19 years old, because he's not going to be in three, four, five years. He's going to be, yeah. well, he's going to be Jed Lowry in, in five years. You think that guy had a hard hit problem? I don't, you know, so I, I think well, about the thing hard is, hit rate that way. The issue is the Jed Lowry isn't celebrated or, or compensated in today's game. But, you know, I think at the, at the top of the draft, you know, when we're talking 3 million plus, uh, exit velo is going to go a long ways because if you have present exit velo at 20 miles an hour or at 20 years old, well, chances are you're going to have, you know, exit velo as a pro. That question won't need to be answered. But if you're a kid that is 6'3", 180, 6'3", 185, this, this, it drove me crazy with the Jacob Wilson thing last year. Mm. It's like he's 6'4", he's 185 pounds. You watch him hit. I watched him play two games, six at seven at-bats, and then he got hurt in one of the games. The kid has tremendous stretch at the plate. He separates. Uh, he's going to add a ton of strength. He's got bloodlines. Um, I just... To say that that kid was a stretched out version of Nick Madrigal is crazy. Anyone could have looked at Nick Madrigal eight years ago, seven years, six years ago, and been like, okay, this kid's not going to hit for power. He slaps mm -hmm. at the ball. That's that's not something that you're going to get over. Jacob Wilson exploded through the zone. So, you know, the, the raw power thing as a teenager or as a 20-year-old, I don't get terribly hung up on. If you've got elite bat-to-ball skills and you got an elite approach, chances are you're going to find ways to find success at the next level, and we'll find a place for you to play on the field. You can you can produce value. You can produce F-war. You can produce dollar signs to your team without hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Adam Frazier is probably a bit of a unicorn outlier in, in the bat-to-ball department, but he's a perfect example of the type of guy that gets, you know, I don't know what he got, 900000 850000 in the second round. And he's going to play 14 years in the league and he's going to produce several, you know, roll 45 seasons for good teams. 
Um, so yeah, I, to, to wind back on what the actual question was, if it's chase rate and it's alarming and it's up in that 30% range, you know, I'll bring up a guy in this draft class. I don't mind. I've written about it. I don't mind saying it. I'm the lowest guy in the industry on Tommy White at LSU. I'm not terribly low on him because he does things people just simply can't do. Still a first he's rounder for you? At least still as a first studio? rounder. He, okay. he still has the fastest hands I've seen in the last two drafts. It's, it's really impressive, but he's got a 30% chase rate and he's already a first baseman. For me, that's a that's a pinhole on how you're actually going to produce big value at the next level. Are you going to be a guy that hits 228, 230, and, and 30 to 32 homers? That's great, but that's not Pete Alonso. Mm-hmm. Pete Alonso's hitting 270. That's Reese Hoskins. Um, yeah. I don't even know if it's Reese Hoskins. You know, Reese Hoskins is 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 putting up a 27% strikeout rate. As a pro, this guy's putting up something like that in college, seeing much worse stuff. So to answer, like, I want to see Tommy White improve the chase rate, especially without Dylan Cruz in that lineup, without being protected, without having a guy on second base every single time you come to the plate. Let me see you polish it up a little bit and and show that you can actually hit. And if you can, I'll, you know, I'll throw you up into the top 10, show that you're a polished pro. And otherwise, I, I think he probably fits... For me, at least in the 17 to 25 range. JB is a scout when you're out and you're seeing college kids in particular. How do you how do you assess and quantify what Joe was just talking about from a traditional scout? You'll have the data. Your organization will have the data, that number, that chase number. But one thing I argue at the big league level with a lot of these guys, we sometimes we stare at things like, oh, he, he chases 33%. So what? Like like Juli Rodriguez was on a on a mad chase rate run last July and August. It also happened to be he was the best player in baseball those two months. So I don't I don't buy the numbers by themselves. I'm just wondering when you're scouting a player 20, 21 years old for the upcoming draft, how do you quantify something like, well, he, he chases? He he doesn't swing at strikes. He doesn't swing at strikes. He doesn't hit strikes hard. <laughs> Um, how do you do that? How do you, how do you write that up? How do you, how do you quantify that? Cause you're probably well, only seeing him what, like a, a couple of games early and then maybe, maybe another couple of times later. It depends on, it, well, it depends on the, um, the, 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 comp- the compilation of looks, right? So if let's just use the three of us on this, on this podcast, if you go in and see a player and then Joe go in and see a player and then I go in and see a player, we're, it, it's the, it's all of it together. Right. I mean, that's how you're supposed to, to do it. And that should be um, the order we deploy it, by the way. Just saying. Just saying. If, if you, um, if you're, for me, college kids, this is going to upset some people, but hey, why not? We'll just do that for the first time ever. If you're a college kid, um, I'm just not as excited about you because you're closer to being a finished product, right? Um, so you need to have some upside for me. It needs to be some things that I can grow with and evolve with. Now, if you're a, a college bat that's just dominating everything, you know, you're going to go to the top of the draft anyway, right? Really, Cruz. Yeah, Cruz or Ryan Braun comes to mind or, you know, Buster Posey, guys like that. They're just, they're just automatic, let's go. You know, and those type of guys you take, you, you go like this, it's a Tom McNamara move. You know, and you, and you don't look back, right? Um, but – for college guys, for me, the first thing I'm looking for is what's tomorrow got? Because there's already so much closer to what they're going to be. They've had three more years in many cases of development and growth and maturity 
And at 21, it's a much safer understanding of what they're going to be at 25, which is why guys draft them, right? Now, with that said, things like chase rate concern me if they're not making contact, okay? If they're swinging out of the zone and not making contact. When I look at contact rates, hard hit rates, and things, things like chase, I'm looking to see what they're doing against who and what the contact looks like. If a guy's just swinging and missing, I don't care if it's, if it's outside, that's a problem. If he's swinging and missing in the strike zone, that's a bigger problem because big league hitters don't do that. They don't do JB, that. would you call that a red flag? Can I, can I add something on that really quick, JB? I okay. think that's a really important distinction because that was one of the knocks on on Jacob Wilson and Brooks Lee as well the year before. Both of those guys had not red flag chase rates, but 21 to 23%, you know, playing at Cal Poly, playing at Grand Canyon. That's that's high. But both of them had outlandish unicorn like I'm talking like 77% contact on pitches outside of the strike zone. So mm-hmm. it's like yeah, he's a little over anxious at the plate, and that might expose him at double A, but his hands are so good and his reactions and his triggers are so good that he fights. You know, this is a guy that's gonna he's gonna chase, but he's also gonna work a nine pitch at bat and maybe he gorks one into right field. So that's an important distinction. I you know, I put let's say this. Um if a guy's making contact outside the strike zone, all that means is that he's hunting, he doesn't want to walk, he wants to hit. Now, if you, again, if he's swinging and missing in any point in time, I got issues. If he's if he's getting himself into ambush counts um, and getting exposed with pitch, uh, pitch sequencing, I got problems because it means the head's not in it, right? But chase rate as a whole isn't a big deal. It's your swing and miss rate. Mm-hmm. And so if you're swinging and missing inside or outside the strike zone, then there's major issues. If you're swinging you know, inside the strike zone, swinging and missing, you ain't playing. It's not happening. Forget it. Go do something else. You know, I don't care if it's chess. I don't care if it's – if it's bat gambling, shuffleboard, you went to chess. Not golf. Like, no, not even another sport. I don't even play golf. No, you guys can play with little porcelain pieces and a yeah. cork board. Golf is literally on a tee, and if you're swinging and missing in the strike zone, you might swing and miss and shank some golf things, right? So I'm, let's not get into that. Okay. <laughs> we can't um, even ask the kid if he's got a great no, arm. Can you pitch out? I don't want to hear tennis. You want him out of baseball. Well, this ain't Rick and Keel, that's for sure. No, yeah. So, you know, if you're if you're if you're swinging and missing outside, if you're swinging and missing outside the strike zone, but not in the strike zone, then it means your pitch selection's off. Maybe your vision isn't all the way there. Maybe there's something there you can correct, right? Um, but it, to me, it's your swing and miss rate. Yeah, I think that at every level, it, it's hard to improve on that. So, you know, it, it just really is. You, you can you can work backwards in many other things. Chase rate can improve a little bit. That's more of a mentality, provided your eyes are good. That's a mentality. But if you're swinging and missing and you're at an amateur level or an A-ball level or double-A level, it's not going to automatically improve when you get to AAA in the big leagues. That's going to be what you do. And swinging and missing is going to be a concern. Uh, you mentioned eyes there. Before we move on here, I wanted to ask, because I know, because I got it from the horse's mouth. Um, Jock Peterson was on the radar of a certain major league club during the draft. I know, I know the story. Yeah, and I'm, I know you know the story. That's why I'm bringing it up. Um, and 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 he couldn't see. He couldn't see. Well, according to the club, it, it, he couldn't see, and we can't we can't take him. How many times has that happened that that you know of that you can think of, or something like that? Would there be really? Yeah, a lot. I mean, um, in Rendon, it was his ankle. Sure. Right. Um. 
with with Jock Peterson was his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, there were he's other. Done, he's done all right. Like obviously they corrected that. He's done all right. Um, I don't know some of the reasons that that medical at the time would would give us to not take guys. Or you literally sit in the other side of the room because you know the funny thing is in almost every draft room I was in, the the, the medical staff sat closest to the screen where you put the video up, and all the way across from the cross checkers. Because the reason why <laughs> that sounds that, like a, a, yeah. a secure place to, to sit. It's a, it's a horseshoe on the table. medical team. It's a horseshoe table, right? And, and they'd sit on the farthest possible side away from the guys that were saying, we like this guy. Because they'd look up and go, yeah, got this. You got a, you know, a funny toenail. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know. The pinky was broken when he was three. I don't know how it's going to heal. You know, you do stuff like that. And you're just like this. Yeah. yeah, you know, and it, it doesn't. And so, you know, a couple times, I've seen doctors or, or medical staff say some things, and guys literally got up and left the room because it was so ridiculous. But they were making such an issue out of it, um, you know. And then other times, guys would go on and they play well, you know. And then we'd have guys that we would take that would pass these physical these physical screenings and have nothing wrong with them, um, and they break anyway. You know, they break or they wouldn't get there. You know, a guy like Mark Pryor, who I was playing at the time, Pryor was 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 great. Everything was great with Mark Pryor. How'd that work out? Right? And, and a guy like that Seattle took in Holton. Mm-hmm. Holton got some funky stuff, man. <laughs> Delivery. I know, was, I know I've asked you this before on my show, but it was ugly. How, how does how does a club miss the whole crossbody pitching against his, his body thing. Like how does a club miss that? Because that's not a nothing, right? If, if you're unfamiliar with Danny Olson, uh, he was the number two overall, overall pick in 2011. He was after Great Garrett team. Cole. Okay. He was, he was really good in college, really a good athlete, even hit at UVA um, could do a lot of things. And he is a great kid. Um, I always enjoyed talking to him once he got to uh, to triple a, he was great, very insightful, but he had some problems. He got he hurt. He couldn't throw strikes and he got hurt. And so how do you not see the, the crossbody action there and say, this could be a problem? Not that it's automatic, but this could be a problem health-wise, and this could be a problem in terms of throwing strikes. Because um, well, they, they took that guy – well, in college he did. Right. So so the strikes thing at the time of, of the body and the time of the delivery, he's 97, 98, so plus breaking ball. You know, you're thinking, look, this doesn't come along, you know, every year, right? And the, and the thing about picking in the first round at the top of the draft, as Jack used to say, is that you get the best of something. Best of something. So with Hulton, it was the best left-handed arm in the draft, right? That was, without question, that's what you got. Um, but, see, Bernie, Bernie didn't like to pick either. Right? See that? Yeah. I'm with you, Bernie. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, see. Yeah, it's okay. He's <laughs> the Mariners got through just fine, buddy. It's all right. Well, that's the thing they didn't because Lindor should have been the pick, right, Burn? Yeah, you know, I don't know if they well, got through okay. Yeah, <laughs> we got through it. All right. Anyway, um, but you got to a place where you got you got a ninety-seven on our arm. You got an athlete who's pretty good athlete. I mean, you got you got you got a, a, a plus breaking ball. The fallback role on him is is a closer. That's the fallback. You're not taking a guy at two because you think that's what it is. But you think you're getting something, right? And then Danny broke, and he broke a lot, and it just it never worked. Um, he, you know, for me, the crossfire, the execution, 
you know, the, the strikes in college overcoming the delivery. That's what was said. You know, he's overcomes the delivery, strikes in college, and um, plenty, you know, fills up the zone and never going to be a command guy. But, man, it's, I, I used to call him a zone filler. These guys are zone fillers because it's in the middle. It's got some run. It's got some life. It might elevate. But, man, it's going to be in the box, right? You're not going to go ahead and paint with this guy. So um, if, if you're looking at that type, used to, I still say that. You look at that stuff and you're thinking, I'm getting the best of something. Now, behind that, where it gets tough is the guys behind her, Lindor, Baez, Springer, um, Bauer, you know, um, uh, the late Jose Fernandez, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, even the guy that we took in, in, I was still in Milwaukee at the time, Youngman. You got um, Tyler Beatty later in the draft. You got a bunch of guys, Stroman, you got a bunch of guys just start going down the list of guys that went off the board um, that were something, right? That were just something. Nimmo, Nimmo went 13. That year, right? I mean, 2011, if you look back on it as a whole, Bundy went four. Like, if you go back in 2011. That was the Bubba Starling draft, too. Starling and and Bundy. And the debate in our room, believe it or not, was Rendon and and Bubba Starling. Actually, it's another – we'll talk about that for another Mm -hmm. time. But the point is, is you go back at that draft, you look at all the guys that hit in 2011, and you end up with that. And it's it's not because Danny didn't deserve stuff-wise to be in that slot. And looking back on it, I'm not sure the Mariners don't take him again, all things being equal. What I can say is I've looked at the draft as it only matters what happens in the end. And in the end, the guy's got to show up in the big leagues. Um, I understand why Mac did it. I don't fault him for taking it. I think Holton's an easy kid to fall in love with, if you will, at the time. He was an easy kid to to like and, and want to be around. And you got to, I mean, 97, in 2011, 97 was much more rare than it is today. People throw 95. Especially from the lefty. Especially from the yeah. lefty. People throw 95, so you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. What else? And, you know, but back, you know, even 10, 12 years ago, 96, 97, one running around all the time. Not with a guy that strikes at a plus breaking ball at, at Virginia, which is a pretty good place to do it, right? Because yeah. you're at the ACC. So, um, you know, it, it's not um, – it wasn't a bad pick from all those things on the outside looking in. It just wasn't the right pick for what you wanted to do, which would be a frontline starter. Yeah, that was uh, that was not a fun one to watch. Uh, kind of unfurl. I just always wondered about the uh, about the mechanics there and, and how that played into the uh, into the conversation. Uh, before we get out of here, um, let's stay on the draft a little bit. Uh, draft comps are a thing. Fans love them. Okay, it's what is this play? And you can understand it. Like, what is this player going to be? And if you if you watch the draft or you you pay attention to the draft, you see draft coverage wherever you get your draft coverage. Sometimes comps are thrown out there, and I, I, I sometimes think, and we don't need to go down this road. Comps are used by some folks in a, in the wrong manner. It's this guy looks like this player, so he's that player instead of it's a role. I remember uh, uh, Jared Kelnick at the height of his prospect status. I was like, look, like if if this guy maxes out, like how is he not Matt Holiday? You know, and people are like, but he's right handed. You know, that's what I got. Everybody's like, oh, you're nuts. He's right-handed. That didn't matter. Like, like I'm not looking for a guy who looks like him. Uh, but I'm wondering if if you guys have some interesting comps of draft players you can bring up. Something that was, whether it was yours or not, something that you were spot on about, something that it was like, wow, this just did not work. Even if it was someone else's, it doesn't matter. But if it was yours and you kind of brag on it, uh, I know, JB, you have a ton of these. Joe, you've been doing this plenty long where you can remember saying, hey, when I watch this player, I see this player. We'll start with you, Joe. Is there one where you were just so far off on or just like, 
I, I nailed this and this was amazing or this was funny because I got to say, I have a little bit of a funny one. It's not going to be funny for some, <laughs> but I have a little bit of a funny one. Let's start with you, Joe. I got two on both sides. I was uh, I got two that I was especially wrong on. And one of them is a future stars guy. So that, that's actually why I called JB and that's why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Making amends. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, uh, James Wood. I, I So James Wood was drafted in the comp round, I think, by the San Diego Padres in 2021. Um, got to see him live in 2020 uh, that summer. Interviewed him that winter. And he was extremely soft-spoken. Um, I said, boy, if this guy goes anywhere with a big market, he's just going to get chewed up and spit out. Like, and, and then his spring 2021 came along, and it was awful. I mean, it was like 31% strikeout rate in high school. I said, I'm, I'm out. Like, Let's get him to school and see what happens. Now he's you know, one of the top prospects in baseball. The other one is Robbie Snelling. Saw Robbie. Um, I, I had a fourth-round grade on Robbie Snelling. I thought it was stiff. I thought it was two pitches, didn't like the strike quality, and he was already a linebacker body, and he's just turned himself into a baseball body, and now he's got one of the best breaking ball, fastball, changeup combinations in minor league ball, so dead wrong on that. I do have two comps that um, I'm actually pretty happy with. Back in 2019, I, I fell in love with Dom Fletcher. I've always been an Arkansas guy for some reason. Uh, I fell in love with Dom Fletcher at Arkansas. And he finally made his debut this past year for the Diamondbacks. And I called him Josh Reddick at that time. And it hasn't, you know, it wasn't Josh Reddick until like this year, but it looks like it, it could be a pretty good call. And then the other one, just because it's such a weird, deep pull, and so many people don't even know who this guy is, at least my age. Um, this past year, I called Kyle Teal, and we'll see if it turns out this way. I called Kyle Teal the next Greg Zahn, which I was pretty happy with. So, hmm. um, We'll see what happens, but, but you're right. I mean, comps are just more often than not, they're more damaging than they are instructive. <laughs> they can't be. The fans love them, so we we just keep giving them. They do. It, yeah. it, it just helps you visualize a player that's so many years away. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, back when Dustin Ackley was the number two pick in 2009, I heard a good one. Okay, It was an interesting, and it was fair. It was absolutely fair, and I think the funny thing is that unless you were a little older person, um, this did not come from someone inside an organization. Um, I can't even remember who actually said it first, to be honest with you, but I remember talking to Keith Law about it. And it was like, can you take Dustin Ackley at number two in this draft? Like college performer doesn't necessarily project it for much power. You don't know where he's going to end up on the diamond. Is this really a guy you can take at two? And the, the naysayer, the, the, you know, on the, on the, the pessimistic side, it was okay this guy might be Dave Magadan who can run a little. And I stopped in my tracks and thought to myself, my first thought was, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. The more I thought about it, I was like, you might be onto something. You might be, this is interesting. You might be onto something. Dave Magadan uh, spent all those years playing first base, hitting like a guy that belonged on the bench, but he would hit for average. He would hit 300 with the really, really light on base. Wouldn't walk a ton, but he'd hit 300 line drives, basically no power. And Dustin Ackley probably got that, that comp, that, that comp probably got back to Dustin Ackley long ago, because what did Dustin Ackley do when he got to, well, really starting with his sophomore year at, at North Carolina, started to swing with defenses and they would ask him, Hey, are you trying to hit home runs every time? He's like, yes, I'm trying to hit the ball 5,000 feet every single time at the plate. 
And that obviously didn't work out for me. Didn't have a very long major league career. But that one to me was interesting because it was a, hey, if if it doesn't work out, like the high side is this is what you're getting. And in today's day and age, that's not an everyday guy. A guy that ends up at first base or left field that hits 300 with no OBP to back it up and very little power that doesn't work. And that one stands out to me. Uh, it was a very interesting way to look at at comps. You were rolling through a range of them for the same player, and someone stopped at Dave Magadan for Dustin Ackley. I always thought that was interesting. Uh, JB, I, I know you got a thousand of them. Give me, give me a couple that stand out for you. Positive or negative? Which ones you want? Let, let, give me, give me one negative Both. one where where it was a bad comp, whether whether it was yours or someone else, where it just didn't work and the player completely turned into something different, or a really well, good, you know, and then follow with a really good one. Well, you know, the thing about comps is, and I'm just going to, that's something else I've always been kind of good at. So I don't know that I missed on comps. I'll give you a player that I missed on. I'll just give you that. I'll, let's try that one. Okay. I missed on Paul Goldschmidt, like everybody else. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because he went in the eighth round. I took, I took a guy in the third round. I took another guy in the eighth round ahead of Paul Goldschmidt. He went in the eighth round and signed for 95 grand. Okay. Everybody missed on him. That's the biggest miss of all time for me with Paul Goldschmidt. Um, Comp-wise, for whatever reason, because I grew up in big league clubhouses and saw a lot of big league baseball, it's never been tough for me to put that together. Physical comps have been tougher than than game comps. For example, Jared Kellenick, I thought was Rusty Greer. Mm-hmm. So I thought he was. Okay, yep. I never thought I never <laughs> thought he was. And I said that to Tram when they took him. I say he's Rusty Greer, and he goes, "He's got to be better than that." And I said, "I think he's Rusty Greer." It's kind of tracking that way. Okay, it's kind of what he's what he's going to be. So sure. it could be a little better, but it's kind of tracking like that now. Um, the best, one of the best comparisons, one of my favorite comparisons that I've made, um, is a player that is a report that got a lot of run and that's Tim Anderson. Okay. And I, I had, I had Sean Dunson on Tim Anderson and while it's, it's changed a little bit and he didn't have the 80 arm, man, he had every, a lot of everything else he could do that was pretty close to what Dunson was going to be. That was a very fun one to have. Um, because Tim Anderson, when he was drafted was, it was 17, 17. Mm-hmm. Overall, yeah. we took um, we took DJ Peterson, and and my favorite comparison that I've ever heard ever of all time was made by young Tom McNamara on DJ Peterson. He called him Bob Horner. I thought that was great. I was like, this is awesome. We got Bob, you know, Bob Horner there. Okay, you think that if was, Peterson doesn't get hit in the face, he hits? I, I think I think um, I think that with DJ, it was it was a big concern and a change. I was all in on the bat. Uh, to be honest with you, it was hard not to like him as a bat. It just it wasn't oh, there wasn't a whole lot to do anything with, right? It was if it was a bat or all bat or nothing. Um, and so when he got hurt, there wasn't any fallback role. There wasn't anywhere to go with it. You know, we just uh, thing with Ackley. And I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Matt because those guys were good picks at the time. Um, but with Ackley, you know, if somebody whoever said he was Dave Magadan, you don't want that at two. I don't want Dave right. Magadan at two. And that I was the conversation. But yeah, yeah, do you want, really want, want this guy at two? Yeah. yeah, I'm not doing that at two. Um, I want, you know, Seager was, was, is a pick that was an overachiever, but he went where he's supposed to. You redraft him in the first round, no club's taking Kyle Seager in the first round. Right. No, no club, not as an amateur, but they took him where they wanted to, right? So, um, you know, I, I think um, with Tim Anderson, because he was such a far uh, project still, he was nowhere near a finished product, that that was a comparison to watch him turn into. That was pretty fun. Tim Anderson. Yeah, I've read that report. That's a good one too. Yeah, that's a good. That's one of the top three or four. I think I put Adam yeah. Fraser up there. I put Tim Anderson up there. The Kevin Gossman Ke- one is really good too. By the way, I went Kevin to- Brown. 
who's Kevin Brown. How's yeah. that looking? Go look at Kevin he's Brown. Still, he's still Kevin Brown. Yeah. Speaking go of Kevin Brown, why isn't Kevin Brown in the Hall of Fame? I don't know, but go look at Kevin Brown's track. Can we go record. there for 30 seconds? Why isn't Kevin Brown in the Hall of Fame? Why isn't he still pitching? The pitching <laughs> color is like 49. He is. He's with the Blue Jays. It's Kevin Gosselin. <laughs> he just changed his name. It's the same dude. Yeah, it's I mean, the same guy. Kevin um, Brown. Yeah, that's Kevin. Con- isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy to you guys? I, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right that Kevin Brown was the first $100 million player. He was. Is, yeah. Dodgers gave it to him. Yeah. Kevin Malone. Is that not player. insane to you? Like, yeah. what a trivia question that's going to be. I mean, it's a good trivia question now, but 20 he years was, from now um, when we've got, you know, guys making $70 million a year. He was a uh, he was a monster. You know, Gosman um, was another kid that wasn't afraid of the ball ever. Right. He was like, give it to me. I remember I saw a game with him and uh, Chris Stratton, who's still in the big leagues as a reliever, right? Um, pitching in Mississippi. It was at LSU, Mississippi State versus LSU. And those guys went pitch for a pitch for nine innings. Pitch for a pitch. I mean, Gosman had a 70 change, the Fosh change up. He had that. He had a 98. Um, the the Kurt ball was, was a three. But, you know, the, um, the year before he had a slider, which was a six. You know what I mean? And, and it's kind of running between now. It's a 45 to a 50 breaking ball, you know, here and there. But, he gets guys out with those two pitches. The delivery was the same. The angle was the same. The demeanor was the same. The sink was the same. And he went in the same pick. Kevin Brown went four overall. And Gosman went four overall right behind us. We took Zanino. He went four. Um, and Gosman went out. And he was one of those guys that was going to develop over time. Kevin Brown took six, seven years to settle in. Like if you go look at his track, it took six, seven years. Gosman took about six, seven years, right, to settle in. And next thing you know, now the guy's – dealing he does he gets he gets guys out at will because he found his rhythm and he got those moving body parts going the same way and he's probably got five six more years ahead of him right what's right. kevin what's Cosman now 32 is that about right 32 ish so he's going to pitch so he's 38 39 because he can do all that so um you know it's it, th- that was a fun one anderson was a fun one um Man, what was it? No, there's a couple other good ones in there. Uh, Michael Reed, I drafted him. I put Aaron Rowan on him. Same body. If Michael didn't get hurt, it's, it's the same type of profile. Um, you know, so the, the comps that are, that are out there, um, for me, the physical, there's two ways to do it. There's the physical and then there's the role. I tried to match up position and, and, and hand just because that's what you're taught to do. Um, you know, but the, the comps give fans a visual. They're important. Uh, some people try not to do them. It's okay. I'd rather have you say I don't have a comp. Sometimes guys are themselves. I've done that before too. Hey, who does he remind you of? Himself, right? Reminds me of himself because he's going to be his own guy. Noah Naylor was one of those guys. Who does he remind you of? Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Not um, his brother. Not his brother because that's the, that's the Harold Reynolds version of a comp. Yeah, so, so, so Josh, there's one for you. Josh I thought was Movon. Okay? Now, oh. at the time, go back and look at what Josh looked like in, when he signed. Yeah. Look yeah. at him now. Yeah. Okay, he's in a lot of work. But I thought he was move on. And then when the Marlins took him at 11, I was like, whoo, boy, you know? And it, not that he didn't belong there, but that's just what you were getting. And he just he just hit. And Josh could just – well, You would take – you would, I mean, you would take move on at 11. Move on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not arguing Without looking it up, I bet you move on yeah. had 20, 20 F war over 12 I, years. One I, saw, yeah. Yeah. I saw Josh Naylor in the Dominican Republic hit a ball over the Twins club uh, clubhouse and dorm in right field in a game at 16 for the Canadian national team against a, a, a Dominican out there, throwing 95 and a ball, not knowing where it was a rookie ball, not knowing where it was going. And Josh just hit this thing, you know? And, and the funny thing was that one had been 
13? 13 maybe? Does that sound right? Yeah. Man, that was a hell of a draft in 13 yeah. too. Yeah, he we was a 15 took, first rounder. So. It was 15, yeah, because yeah, we, took, we took Gareth at four, in, in the second round in 14. Two million bucks, baby. <laughs> Let's bucks. not get into that one, man. Two million dollars. Two million, my friends. As Jack would say, shoo. <laughs> anyway, we took, we, took him, we took Gareth and we got to see Josh. Yeah, so that makes sense. Soroka. Soroka was another one. He was in that. He was there. So, um, you know, look, the, the comps are important because they're trying – I thought Soroka was – was, uh, was it Paul Bird up and on him? You have, you have the reports, Jason. Go back and look. I mean, the point Paul, is – Paul Bird just makes me think of uh, a different guy, I'll say, JB. Yeah, no, I yeah, no, I I know who you're talking about. Andrew, less, not more. I know who you're talking about. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I forget what I did with this guy. Boy, the point is, the comps are important because it just paints a picture of what you can get. Sure. They're fun when you get them right. If you miss, as long as you have some dreaming in what you're doing. When I hear a comparison, I want to hear an impact big leaguer. I want to hear a role player. I want to hear a ceiling play. I don't want to hear a comp that says this guy is sterile. Right, Rusty Greer is a good player. Kellenick's going to be a good player. Is Kellenick a Hall of Famer? No, no, he's a good player. Yeah, he's a good player. So you know, and and being Atlanta may help that, but he's a good player. Um, you know, that's that's kind of what you're looking at. That type of stuff with comps. Let me ask you this, JB, before we go, and I, maybe it's too early, and you don't want to throw these comps out there because these kids haven't even been drafted. But when you look at Slade Caldwell, and you look at um, I think you gave me a comp for, for Santucci a while back, but when you look at Braden Montgomery, Santucci, and Slade Caldwell, are you in a place right now where you want to put a comp on any of those guys? Yeah, so so Santucci's Mark Mulder. That was my comp. Right, yeah, you said that last he's, week, I think. He's going to be very good. Um, Caldwell, for me, um, I don't know that power is going to be part of his game yet. I don't know that it's not because he's got plenty of strength. I just don't know that the, the speed game he plays is what is going to fit that. Um I think Adam Eaton is, isn't strong enough. Um, he's nowhere near as big as Pesednik, guys like that. So the guy that, that kind of that Caldwell brings to mind is is more of a Lenny Dykstra type of guy. And he's going to play center field, and he's going to play well, and move around. He's going to run. He's going to steal base. He's going to slash. And if he hits you 10 a year, it's a great year, right? Without the, um, without the drugs and spades and speed and everything. Correct. <laughs> but we're talking about player. We're not talking about makeup. Okay? So yep, we're talking about yep, player. Yep. So, so Caldwell. Montgomery, for me – um, because he's a switch hitter is, is a very difficult, um, comparison. Cause you don't see that a lot. Braid Montgomery is basically Braid Montgomery. If I had to put a player on him, just a player, regardless of the, the, the comp things that go with it, he's Dave Winfield. And I know that's a big lofty comparison, but Braden's six foot four ish, almost six, five. He's gotten a lot broader. He's still going to fill in. There's still some upside to grow. Um, you know, you ever look at Winnie when he's huge, but he's thin, right? Montgomery has an 80 arm, so do Winfield. Montgomery has, uh, you know, 60 to 70 raw that plays, so do Winfield, right? And as he grows goes into that, Montgomery might have eight raw. I mean, he's got a couple of eights in the box. He's never going to be an 80 runner. Um, it's going to be an 80 arm. He's at least a plus defender on a corner. Uh, he's got eight, eight power, and it's, it's probably a 55 bat, real world 55 bat. Bray Montgomery is going to give you 275 and 30. That's what he's going to give you by the time it's all done. He's going to strike out a little bit, 
He'll strike out and pro ball a little bit. Not a ton, but, you know, if he strikes out 100 times, hits, gives you 30 and plays a, a plus defense in right field and, and it's 275, hits four in your, or five in your lineup, I'm, you're rolling with that that's, all day. That's a five-win player. I mean, right. that's, yeah, 100 yeah. strikeouts in today's game is right. elite. He's going to, but he's going to make better contact, so he'll strike out 100, 120 times. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, you're, you're talking about guys that, um, with strikeouts for me, when I look at extreme strikeouts, I'm looking at, um, Jose Hernandez, Richie Sexton. Um, you know, I'm looking at guys like that. I'm looking at guys just swing and miss constantly, right? Uh, the Tommy Troy kid we had that went to Stanford. He's Brett Boone. Been saying that the whole time. He's Brett Boone, right? And you look at look at the tools and how that ma- how that matches out with the makeup, and he's Brett Boone. So, um, you know, Braden's Braden, but if you got to put a comparison on him, I got I got Dave Winfield. Interesting, interesting. I saw Braden uh, last spring. Uh, when he was still at Stanford, and he was quiet for two days, and or I thought he was quiet for two days, and then he hit a rocket like 112 miles an hour out the right field, and an inning later he threw a guy out of third base from right field, um, and then I looked at the two games that I had seen, and he was actually two for five with two walks, two stolen bases, and two extra base hits. It's a pretty good player. I, I barely noticed until he hit the homer. Uh, obviously a toolsy guy. Uh, Interesting. Good stuff, guys. Um, hey, we're going to do this as much as possible. As much as the three of us can get together and and do this, we're going to do it. We're going to talk about anything uh, and everything under the sun. Um, I won't put you guys on the spot and get a uh, get a parting shot because we'll never get out of here if that happens. Um, <laughs> so appreciate it, guys. We'll talk next week. You have been listening to the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.